You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, scientists, doctors, and inventors in the cannabis industry. Your host, Pam Schmiel, marketer and publicist in the cannabis industry. Many know Nikki Lawley in the cannabis industry for sharing her true story about how she used cannabis to help her heal from brain trauma injury. But Nikki is also on a mission to help bridge the gap between the medical and recreational communities and get both sides communicating instead of the hateful rant towards corporate cannabis. Nikki is shining a light on both entities, hoping they will find a way to work together to build the cannabis industry. Nikki and I take a deep dive into New York's medical program and how it will evolve now that medical dispensaries are about to enter New York's recreational market. And now on with the show. Hey. Good morning. <laughs> good, good. How's it going in Buffalo? <laughs> oh, it's going. It's going. It's uh sunny and nice so that's good so it'll be a nice drive to uh, albany so that's good news you know what is it that you've been doing lately i've seen that you're you know you are speaking at a lot of events and i know you are an advocate for the medical mar- marijuana medical community um but would love to hear what you're doing lately and then we'll jump into the questions sure so Lately, I've really been focusing on the medical program in New York State because there's so much noise surrounding every other aspect of what's going on in New York with the adult use, with the processors, with the adult use growers and cultivators. There's a real disconnect and so many things are wrong (laughs) in many facets of our laws currently and regulations that the medical community and the medical patients and all the good things that they have done are not being talked about. And so my goal is to kind of be the liaison between the good of the medical program. Are there problems with it? 100%. I'm not trying to say it's all kumbaya and rainbows and sunshine, but at the end of the day, the reason the registered organizations, which are basically our version of multi-state or operators um, for our medical program, they had regulations that they had to follow. Those regulations were not created by the MSOs or ROs themselves. They were created by legislative bodies who were very much um, anti-smoking plant medicine. And a lot of good came once we started to be able to get whole plant in our medical program. A lot of good came of being a medical patient because we can home grow legally. Like I don't have to worry about a helicopter driving over, you know, flying over my house, panicking. Oh my God, I have 12 plants. Well, I do have 12 plants, but my husband's also a patient. So we're, we're at the maximum uh, amount. Actually I have nine because three didn't make it. But um, <laughs> at the end of the day, that fear of being arrested for growing a plant is no longer part of my anxiety. Um, There's so many pluses. We have access to pre-rolls. You know, I can't roll a joint to save my life. So being able to purchase pre-rolls in the medical setting is a huge win for me. Uh, For me and my crazy digestive system, I don't feel the effects of edibles the way most people do. So I have to smoke my flower. 
that's how I get med medicated. And that, you know, is often frowned upon because are there carcinogens in any kind of smoke? Absolutely. I'm a nurse. I'm a medical professional. I understand that. But I feel the benefits far outweigh the risks of the, those potential side effects because my quality of life is so dramatically improved by smoking cannabis. How about with RSO, like just like little dabs of RSO? Does that, I mean, just because it could be like, you know, sublingually. No. Uh, so I had weight loss surgery um, years oh. and years ago. And then I also lack a gallbladder. So anything that is metabolized first pass digestion does not work for me. Oh. As hard as I've tried, I can eat thousands of milligrams of products and I don't feel it. Um, the only exception is I can eat a ton of like nano infused um, products like Curaleaf has nano bites. And those, if I eat pretty much the whole bag, I can actually feel a little medicated, but that's oh. not cost effective. No. So, <laughs> um, but everybody has a unique system and everybody has unique ways of medicating. I would love to be one of those people that could just be happy on a gummy because it's way less stigmatized it's way yes. less going in public lighting a joint is sort of an adjustment period and i am not advocating or proponing that you know all kids should be exposed to cannabis birth on up i'm suggesting that having consumption lounges having places where we can safely consume our medicine without fear of judgment, without fear of parents saying, oh my God, that stinks. And <laughs> freaking out on you on the street. You know, people don't know what they don't know. And if, if you know, in this past year, walking downtown New York City was totally different than three years ago, walking downtown. You know, you'd see, you'd get a whiff of cannabis here and there, but now it's pretty much everywhere. Just yeah. like cigarettes was in the day. Yeah. So I mean, it's different, but it's similar. Right, right. Well, you know, one question I always wonder is, and I think a lot of people ask too, is what's the difference between and do we need the medical dispensaries versus the recreational? Is it, is it, are the products different? I know you were saying, you know, the new laws passed where we can now have flour, but what is the difference and do we need two of them, you know, both? systems so, in my opinion this is a very loaded question oh is uh, okay. a lot of people use cannabis medically that don't label themselves as a medical patient so the biggest difference is in a medical store they actually have a pharmacist on staff they have um, someone that can really guide you through that journey are there good pharmacists and bad pharmacists yes but there are some that are really good that understand drug to drug interactions. So uh -huh. if you're using cannabis and you are on a blood thinner. He's probably going to suggest not using a whole lot of THC and CBD because that could be counterintuitive to those pharmaceuticals. So same glaucoma, um, a patient that has glaucoma should not be consuming high CBD. They should be consuming high THC, but the average human doesn't know that kind of stuff because they're not from a medical background. So the adult use dispensaries aren't trained in the medical aspects. The medical dispensaries aren't really trained in the adult use aspects. 
Many have come from the adult use market when it was legacy, but there's a just a whole different kind of system. So what's the real difference in New York State? It's truly having a pharmacist on staff and being able to talk to your need with or your needs and what could work for you best. And in adult use dispensary, you will, and you'll also have better pricing traditionally. Yeah. Um, I can give you a perfect example. I went to an adult use dispensary and I bought a 0.3 ml bait cart. And I did the same thing at a medical dispensary. For 0.3 mls at the medical dispensary, it was $30. For the same 0.3 mls, different brand in the adult use, it was $57.50. That is a dramatic difference and the medical model from a patient perspective is much more affordable than it is going to an adult use store. My needs, one of the cool things about being a patient and what I kind of don't understand um, a lot of people poo-pooing medical programs is medical programs are needed because patients need their consistent medicine. They need a consistent medicine that is affordable. They need a consistent medicine, like brand loyalty. I'm the most loyal consumer you're ever going to find. Why? Because I know those products. I know what works. I know who's irritating their cannabis, who isn't. I know where the pitfalls are. And I can honestly say I'm grateful to being a medical patient. One of the things I wish we would have provisions for is when a medical patient goes into an adult use store so that we don't have the same excise taxes and you know uh, potency taxes and whatnot. There should be some type of provision that encourages us to shop in the community stores as well as the registered organization stores. So does New York State still require you to have a medical card to pay for that yearly medical card so that you can walk into the medical store, get a tax-free product, right? It's, it's, a, it's tax-free, is that correct? Or It's not tax-free, but the tax is buried in the cost. So, so I don't, we don't see like our tax on how it's broken out. Whereas when you get your um, adult use bill, you can see exactly how much you're paying in taxes. Where the medical patient, $30 is $30. You know, they tell you it's $30 on the shelf. It's $30 when you check out. When you go to the adult use, they say, oh, it's $45. But at the end, you're paying $57.50. I'm saying 40, but it could be more than that. I just- Right. So, you're, so you are get, but you still are getting a break. So can you walk into a medical dispensary and get a, um, a medical card? Or do you have to go through, you know, there was all these like online- Pay it's still that way. It's, it's still that way. way. Um, the majority of physicians are doing telemedicine, but there are some doctors that like are in pain management. What's cool is New York changed who can prescribe. So dentists can prescribe now. Nurse practitioners can prescribe now. Different, um, and they can do it for whatever condition they see fit. Whereas when I first got into the medical program, there were like seven conditions that were approved. And chronic pain, anxiety, depression, none of that was included. So I actually had to go to Canada to learn about cannabis as medicine and learn what worked for me and why and how how to do the cannabis in a way that improved the quality of life that I have now. So um, you get your card online, let's say, hypothetically, and you can literally go into a dispensary the same day. Um, 
they have Presto Doc, they have Leafwell, they have uh, NugMD. Uh, right. These are just random places. You can literally Google, how do I get my medical card in New York State? And then it, all these will pop up. So um, it is worth it to get your medical card. I mean, that $150 saves me a lot of money. That $150 gives me services that the adult use doesn't offer. I am 100% in favor of adult use because that's going to create a more competitive market and a variety of products that medical patients will see benefits from that don't come from the ROs, that come from a homegrown farm that really takes pride in their flowers and you know, they really have these terpene profiles that are so unique, but that's not scalable. That's a pleasure more than it is a necessity, if that makes sense. So like when I find a great product, perfect example, House of Saki, love the guy. He gave me a sample of his flower and I absolutely loved it, but I have no idea how big his crop is, meaning I have no idea how often I'll be able to get that particular flower. Whereas at least on the medical side, they tend to keep the same product around for a longer period of time because they've invested so much money in those genetics and they have a much bigger canopy that they can grow that consistent medicine in. And I am not in any way, shape or form anti-adult use or anything like that. I just want to find a way that we can bridge that gap. How can we as community bring those voices to where decisions are being made in the adult use market and with the ROs and how can we improve our medical market so we don't lose more patients? Because right now, I think the record high of our medical program was like, don't quote me, but like, let's say 125 or 126,000 patients. Now we're at like 121,000 patients. And each year it tends to go down. And this is what happens when adult use comes to a state. Why? Because they don't need a car. They don't need to be labeled. They don't need to go to specific stores. So I understand that, but you don't get the benefits I do. <laughs> so, right, right. So I'm all about promoting the medical program and helping people save money and get assistance as they learn on how to find what works for them the best way. How is the, the quality of, of the product and in the medical stores, have you, have you, what do you think about that? Do, do they need to get better? Are they figuring it out? I mean, they must have brought brought their growers or their their teams from other states, so they must have the system down. I guess they have to get the land down. But what do you think about that? There is definitely quality cannabis in our medical program, but it's definitely not all producers. Um, and a lot of times, it's sort of a catch 22 because you can't see the product before you purchase it. You can't smell the product before you purchase it. So, so it's definitely not all quality, great, perfect and everything, but when you find the brands that are good and you find the brands that work for you, you are so loyal to that brand. You know, you're right. right. Like, I was on a panel in Buffalo and I had Pharmacan as my co-panelist. And we have a Pharmacan here in Buffalo, but I never shopped there. I mean, when I first got my medical card, I went there one time and and it just wasn't the same experience that I get at the botanist. Mm -hmm. And again, not throwing shade on Pharmacan, not throw, but it was just my personal experience and it 
convenient wise, you know, the botanist just is more convenient. So BTW, I don't get paid for any of these companies I'm talking about. Like this is just my personal opinion and I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone. Um, But at the end of the day, people don't know what they don't know. So if we can share these experiences and share these different points of view, it helps everyone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we have so much to we have so much to learn and to know and, you know, to to educate, of course, that's that's a huge thing. Um, What about the problem, uh, the mold problem that's come out in um, New York? A sticky situation. (laughs) (laughs) So if you talk to growers, they don't have concerns about it. If you talk to healthcare professionals, i.e. myself, who yeah. understand what aspergillus is, that's concerning, especially for an immune compromised patient. Um, I don't have all the tech savviness to be able to speak on that super educatedly, but it's concerning. In the medical market, we have a plus or minus error of 5% of whether it's potency, terpene percent, whatever, 5% is plus or minus. In the adult use, I've been told they have a 25% plus or minus range. Another reason to shop in the medical, right? I mean, yeah. So so again, I don't believe our medical processors are allowed to have aspergillus. That's my understanding. Um, I'm definitely not an RO. I don't have all their technical backend information, but that's kind of concerning when you're talking about outdoor flower that in Western New York, outdoor flower is really hard to grow. I'm experiencing it right now. Uh And, you know, powdery mildew and spider mites and all these different things that just come because of our bud rot, because of where we're located in Western New York and the humidity. And, you know, we can't really harvest till the end of October. So we've got another month of who knows what the weather's going to do? Um, <laughs> so again, I don't have a perfect answer for that mold question, but I can say I don't want to smoke moldy cannabis. Right, 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 right. And so there's really not the problem in the medical um, dispensaries because they're all indoor grow. And that's that's the, the right. problem is that the farmers for rec were told only outdoor once again, they were led down the wrong road and correct. Right. Okay. And they're suffering. Everyone's suffering. The cultivators, the processors, the supply chain, there's huge issues in our New York state adult use program. And I makes me cry. Yeah. It honestly makes me want to cry. I, I, it just so, I, I, it makes me so sad. I mean, the card shit where they're, you know, they've been given a license, they've done all the renovations. And then at the last second, up. We were just kidding. You can't open. I mean, really? <laughs> and again, I get the injunction. I understand it. I'm just saying. I know. Come messing on. Messing with people's lives. Yeah, you're messing yeah. with. Yes. Suicide. I mean, uh, exactly. Suicide. I mean, and that really kind of upset me that the OCM never put the public comments out. On, oh, I know. I know. Online. That, I mean, because that right there, those public comments tells you how they opened my eyes and showed me how messed up this adult use rollout is you know and 
And I didn't understand, you know, I mean, I've got my little happy medical program and I'm just doing my thing. But when you saw all the people, and I mean, I met several of them when we had the event in Buffalo and people weren't holding back. And I like that. We need to be, have transparency, whether it's a government organization or whether it's the struggles, the farmers, the processors, everyone's having. We yeah. need to be aware of these problems so we can do something to fix them. Yeah. Yes, I know. I know. It's crazy. So what um, so what do you think the medical like the medical community or what, what needs to be done more needs to be done that you think we can bridge? the gap between the ROs coming online in a few months, um, what's going to happen? Are they, go, are they, is it going to be two, two systems within these medical stores? Or are they going to completely flip to rec? Is that how, and is there going to be so, any stores left? Is it oh worth yeah. it to them? I, it's a whole bunch of questions. It's like, is it worth it to them? You know? So there's each RO of the 11 we have, has to have four stores before they can even enter into the adult use market. There are many of these ROs. We only have 38 stores. So you don't got to be a rocket scientist to figure out we don't have, everybody doesn't have one. So that's going to be a stumbling block for some. Um, the ROs, I'm under the understanding is they can't have a mixed use dispensary, that they have to have a rec independent of the medical. That's my understanding. Again, I'm not, you know, Betty lawyer that yeah. knows everything. But, but how do but, they differentiate that? Like if you were going into the Boutonist, how do you know it's Boutonist Medical versus Boutonist Rec? That's a great question. I'm not sure how that played out. Um, hmm. And again, we haven't, we thought we weren't going to even have to worry about that for three years. <laughs> yeah. So now that they've kind of upped the schedule on that, but in defense of the ROs, they have been, you know, they've had handcuffs on them in what they can do, what they can say, what they can sell, how they can do it. They've had an astronomical upfront cost to even getting into this market. And these are things we can't change, but it's something we need to recognize. You know, they aren't all the enemy. <laughs> they aren't all the bad people. I, but I mean, I was part of that thinking like oh ROs oh ROs yeah but at the end of the day they're the ones giving me my medicine at the end of the day they're the ones that are there for me card license or not you know uh this pharmacist I mean or not the pharmacist aspect is a big thing but that's a big expense for them yeah you know? oh my god and a medical pharmacist on staff that costs them a lot of money yeah and and it's a thing, but it's worth it, I feel, especially for a new consumer that really has no idea what their medications are taking and how cannabis will affect that. And without that pharmacist, you're literally leaving it up to the 20-something-year-old bud tender and no shade on him either. He's yeah, no. locked into what he can say. He can't say, oh, you have anxiety? Here, try this cultivar because it's high in linalool. He can't say that. <laughs> so whether that's adult use or medical. 
So, I mean, I'm on a mission to bridge that gap between adult use and medical, not lose the medical, get more people signed up for our medical program because I see the benefits. I see the advantage, but I also see them, those medical users, maybe they've got an adult use shop two streets over and why not shop there? I mean, is it going to cost them more money right now today? Absolutely. Compared to, but I really hope we can get some kind of advantage or break so that medical patients are incentivized to go shop, you know, within the community and with the adult use uh, stores. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's just, it's just going to grow into something. Everybody's all pissed because they've got money. But at the end of the day, in New York State, not a one of these guys has made money, like on our medical program. They just haven't. Oh. I, can they? 120,000 patients, you guys. Like, like really, that is nothing. Oklahoma has like 1.4 million patients. And I mean, they have like a... Uh, well, that's because they're not wreck, right? Right. There's right. like, you know, Oklahoma is a really small state, but 10% of the patients have medical cards. You know, that's a huge difference compared to New York, where we're at like... Point zero zero one percent, you know. And what about the apps? I know you were really um, involved with um, the medical apps, where they were tracking people's use and how how it affected them on different products. And um, what what are you finding out there? I know a lot of apps have come out trying to do that. Is do you see anything that's really working? No. Stringprint was who I had kind of partnered with, and they're out of Canada. The market in Canada is totally different than the market in New York State. Getting access to COAs from growers, processors, and even the ROs is a challenge. So for these apps to really be effective, you can't just go off of strain name. You can't just go off a THC percentage. You can't, like, in Canada, for Blue Dream, they have 23 different cultivars of Blue Dream. Each one has a different certificate of analysis with different effects on people. So while these apps are a great idea, it's very difficult to get them set up on the back end so that they're effective on the front end for the patient. Like Grandma Jones does not want to enter a COA manually <laughs> and try and figure out, you know, Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. She doesn't want to like have to enter stuff into her phone and things like that. And I totally get that. But journaling your experience, even if it's with a paper and pen, more than just the strain name, but actually understanding what's in it and then knowing why you're using that particular strain at that time. Like if you're having anxiety and depression or chronic pain or cognitive function issues, each one of those conditions or symptoms can be managed with a different type of cannabis. So being mindful of what you're treating and how you're treating it is really step one of how to do the cannabis, in my opinion. So mm -hmm. even if that means writing it down, you know, and not going for a digital app, um, there's definite progress being made in the digital aspect, but I'm tech challenged. I have a traumatic brain injury and one of my challenges is technology. So, mm. you know, for me, it's it was more work than just writing it down um, in New York state anyway. In Canada, 
they had the back end COAs from all of the medical providers. Okay. So that was a whole different aspect. So I could literally just find the product, the lot number, boom, it's already in there. And now I can just log my use. Whereas currently in strain print for me in New York state, I would have to get that COA. I would have to upload that information and then use it. That's like way more steps than I can do <laughs> with my lifestyle. And are you working outside of New York state also to, to try to people understand yeah. you know, the, the, the benefits of the medical program? And I, I definitely hope that stays with us because we need it because it is, that's what it is. Medicine. Yes. Um, so I'm kind of global um, between the different podcasts I operate on and different interviews I have. Um, I have turned down nine different keynote speaking positions wow. because one of the problems in our industry is people don't want to pay for your knowledge. They just hmm. think that, oh, it's an honor. You should be honored that we're asking you to speak. Well, the problem is if I go from New York, from Buffalo to say Las Vegas for an event that I was asked to speak at, it costs me my travel. It costs me my accommodations. It costs me all those Uber rides. And yet on the other end of it, I'm promoting that event. I'm sharing that I'm going to be a speaker. So I'm your advertising. I'm your marketing. I'm like bringing people to your event but yet you can't pay for any of those things. And it's costing me money. So at the end of the day, I am on a limited budget because I do receive disability. I want to get off disability, but I have to have an opportunity that it makes sense for. And being a speaker at other people's events where I'm just doing all the promotion, all the yeah. everything, making them money where I can't even get my hotel room covered is a problem. So I have made a conscious effort to kind of change that messaging and ah, yeah. you need me, <laughs> you right. need me not only because I, I hate the word influencer because I, yeah, no, I, I know. I'm, I'm not the hot chick that's in the bikini running around with hats on her head, passing out gummies. That's not me. And in everybody's mind, that's like, you know, being in the bikini running around vision. California. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but I am kind of an influencer. I mean, I have a huge, massive following across all my social media platforms and I can bring value to your business. When I endorse a product that like every product I've talked about, like no one's paying me for any of that. I'm sharing real life experience. And that is what matters because someone else that maybe struggles with sleep is going to hear, oh, well, Nikki used those nanobites from Carolate and said they work great. Well, that's value. That's value because my followers are going to go now look for those nanobites, right? And so I guess the biggest message I have for everybody is patience, consumers, legacy operators, all of us can work together and there's enough of this pie to share it. We don't have to be greedy. We don't have to be so worried about whatever other people are doing just do you and do what you're good at and I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not like if you ask me to create a huge spreadsheet from the million business cards I have right now <laughs> that might get done in like 10 years but 
<laughs> can I go on a podcast and talk about those connections I've made and talk about the benefits of a medical program versus an adult use program? Yes. There would be no adult use if it wasn't for the patients that needed the medicine and the legacy growers who created the medicine. There would be no adult use. There would be no medical. All of us that have yes. for these laws had input. I mean, I didn't come into it like I didn't find legacy growers as my first stop. I found the medical programs. I found the medical program in Nevada as my starting point. And then I found, you know, the medical program in Canada, then in New York. Mm -hmm. But these were all things that I had to learn and experience for myself. And if we can help bridge that gap and help educate people, consumers, medical patients, doctors, that's where the biggest gap is falling through. But if you guys are holding events, remember, those speakers don't owe you anything. Those speakers that you're so excited to have, they need to get their expenses paid for. Like it should not even be a question. If you go in any other industry, that is never the case. And so I'm kind of putting a real hard, I'm no longer just giving it all away for free. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I don't say that to be a snob. I say no. that no. to bring value. Yeah. I'm not every other schmo on the planet that smoked a joint here and there. Yeah, <laughs> right. And you have a medical background, right. Yeah, so I'm really hoping that this new push or action in Congress, you know, and the federal government is going to really help bring some money back in and, you know, invigorate and get things going again, because exactly what you're saying is a story I just hear over and over and over. It's just like everything's for free in this freaking industry and people can't survive. Oh. You know? and, and, the, and there's a lot of great knowledge and a, a lot of smart people, but there's not money to support that. And, and it's really a shame. And uh, so I hope that changes like ASAP. And then the last question I really wanted to ask you about is what about the elderly community? community? Um, what are you seeing in your world? Uh, I just feel like it's such a, an important community that's going to really come into this industry and, and need it and benefit from it. So how, how do you, what do you see in that world? That if you had the privilege to see Sanjay Gupta's seniors special, I didn't, I have to see that. Yeah. You need to watch it because okay. what they're doing makes all the sense in the world. So if you do watch it, look at Mama Sue. I'm kind of like Mama Sue. I'm kind of like taking them under my wing and showing them how to do the pot. How do we, you know, this is what a bong is. This is what a bowl is. This is what a terpene is. This is how you use a vaporizer, you know, and teach them the most basics of basic things because they don't know. Oh. <laughs> and they're scared, you know, you see all these things and apparatuses and you walk into it tattoos <laughs> yeah so you just don't even know what to do it's like going into a dirty store or something like yeah like you literally are scared to touch anything look at anything too long because you don't know if that's cool to look at or bad to look at <laughs> yeah. and, and like we have to bridge that gap one of the best things that i worked with a company called eewc elevating and educating with cannabis um it's Precious and Brandy Hester Brown, um, and they took a bus of community members to Etain, to the dispensary, talked to them about the product. So I educated them all the way 
from Rochester to Etain to Syracuse. And I showed them different packaging and explained the different color coding systems and Etain products, explained how things work. And I can guarantee you, every one of those women, those 30 women who we got cards for, so um, there was a sponsorship and collaborative effort with a medical prescription company, as well as Etain. Um, they were given a store credit so that they could try cannabis at a lower cost than it normally would reach them. They didn't have to pay the $150 to get a certification. Gave them comfort. It gave them help in a way that was broken down to the most basic, simple thing. We're not all 20 something years old anymore, friends. And this is the fastest growing baby boomers. And uh, it's the Z or the X. I always get them. But, but like, that's the fastest growing. And, but we got to hold hand. We've got to handhold yes. them. We've got to teach them. We've got to take them to a dispensary, to a grow. And these will be lifelong customers. And, but once they know what to do, they want to take just a pill every day. They want to take, you know, a gummy every day and know that that's going to help them. This allows them to experience that. And the more hands-on learning we can do and immersion learning, it's going to make all the difference in the world. In New York State, we have the Cannabis Workforce Initiative. This guy, David Serrano, super smart dude. Like, literally, I love watching him because he's like an educator similar to myself, but we just have, we say the same stuff just in a different way. Mm -hmm. And he's so brilliant with what he's done. And he actually, his company sponsored NECAN, which I'm going to after we hang up. Um, and I'm a speaker there tomorrow morning talking about why the industry needs to notice medical patients and consumers and how can we work together and build a more cohesive industry. So these are things that include the seniors, that include the children, that include parents and caregivers and people that like, you know, people that have Parkinson's, people that have Alzheimer's, people that have, you know, conditions that can actually, their quality of life can be improved dramatically, but they don't know how to use it. So you can't just expect grandma Jones to walk into the dispensary, say, Hey, I've got Parkinson's. What can I use? And that bud tender hook them up. It's just not going to work. No. So you need that medical gap and that medical bridge. I can't wait till we get to the point. It is exciting to be in this, you know, the, the, the emerging industry and at the beginning of it, because, and, but we have so much to figure out everything we've talked about today. There's so much to figure out and that'll naturally unfold, but a lot of, a lot of great stuff. But anyway, Nikki, thank you so much. I really, I, I cannot believe we've been talking for an hour. I, I really, I could have asked you a few more questions. It's, it's amazing. Well, I, th I think you have a real purpose in what you were just talking about is, is, you know, educating, you know, even the, all these different communities that in need of this, and there, there's a lot of work to do. And somebody should hire you because <laughs> no, really we have a lot to do. There's a lot, a lot to bridge. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you are trying to bridge the ROs with, with the, you know, craft locals uh, uh, in New York state, because I think it's important for everyone to work together. And another thing is, uh, is, is, you know, at Ruben's event the other night, his whole message is, 
you know, stop segregating by, by using social equity all the time. I always hate using that word when I'm talking to people because I feel, I always stumble over those words because it feels so wrong. It feels like we're just going backwards in time. And I feel like entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs. Maybe people need extra help, you know, but uh, that's kind of going off on a tangent. But I just feel like the same thing with the ROs. It's just like, I wish we could all just bring this together and all work together to, to make it a great community here in New York. We all need a seat at the table and at the yes. end of this group needs to be represented. The yeah. um, office of canvas management advisory board, they literally admitted, you know, we don't know a lot of stuff. I <laughs> I'm like, well, why the hell am I not part of your advisory board? Why the hell isn't one of the legacy growers part of your advisory board? Why the hell isn't a card dispensary on your advisory board? Like you need input from each segment of this market. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, but they're saying they, they're, they're, they, they're not even giving the opportunity. They don't even have the budget. They don't have the approval to do. What have they been doing in the office for two years? What are I, they doing? I literally have written 15 different people at the OCM and said, look, here's my resume. Here's my background. I really believe I could make a difference in your organization if we work together. And I have not heard back. And well, that's very frustrating because, and then I'm told, oh, well, it has to be a specific job posting and opening. I'm like, no, no, humans, you can create a position for me. You can create one just like you created every other position. You don't have to, yes, are there rules that you have to post it internally first? Absolutely. Are there other rules that the state has to do? Yes. But an educator, someone who has lived experience is so much more valuable than just the guy who has read it in a book. And all these regulations that they're putting out, some of them are absolutely preposterous. I know. And like the font size, okay? The font size is like no greater than eight. Hello, oh. comes up with this shit. And, and again, you don't know what you don't know. So these lawmakers, in defense of them, right. they don't understand that. But, or or the childproof packaging, okay? If it takes three of us to open up one uh pre-rolled joint or one thing of gummies, that's a problem. Grandma is never going to be able to open that alone. It should not be that hard. <laughs> Again, these are things that need to be talked at at the decision-making level. As a patient, I can be instrumental in information on formulating, packaging, dispensary setup, what you should carry, what products are going to fly off the shelves. These are things I know because I'm a patient <laughs> and I've gone to all these different markets where they have adult use, where they have recreational, um, I'm sorry, adult use and medical. And I bring so much of a different wealth of experience and knowledge that I know I can help them. And so it's so frustrating just being ghosted or not communicated with. And and again, I get they got big fish to fry. They got lawsuits coming at them left and right. But yeah. at the end of the day, what if you have someone such as myself that can help not only with that lawsuit, but help educate the other members of the board, help educate, you know, and share that perspective and like go on a flipping field trip to some dispensaries. Like they aren't even doing that. I forget which one of the board members said that, but they literally said, oh, I've never been to a dispensary. How can you have your what? job? 
<laughs> well, it's not, it's not you because obviously they are stonewalling the advisory board. What have they been doing? If they're not working, we're paying their salary. It's, 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 it's mind boggling. Anyway, we could, everybody just wants to pull on this five hours, but yeah. But yeah. At the end of the day, I just want a seat at the table where decisions are being made. And at the end of the day, I know I can bring value. And yeah. so I'm really hoping that my NECAM presentation is attended by some ROs, is attended by some processors and cultivators because my voice is strong and it's loud and it gets yeah. places. And I mean, at the end of the day, I just want us all to win. It's not a competition. It's a collaboration. Right, right. right. And, and I don't know, maybe they're I don't know that it would benefit to have someone um, bringing other people in and educating them on the importance of the medical community. Um, and that needs to grow. And, it, you know, so I, I don't understand it either. But um, but anyway, <laughs> if anyone wants to find me, you guys can find me at Nikki Lolly and uh, I KKI Lolly is L-A-W-L-E-Y. And my website is Nikki and the plant spelled out dot org. And I'm on LinkedIn, Insta, Facebook, Linktree, YouTube. You can pretty much just Google me and you'll find me. So I really appreciate the opportunity, Pam. Nikki, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.